Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. Once again, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. We are in between two different series. We finished up our 50 Days with the Holy Spirit a couple weeks ago, which was awesome. And uh, we're about to, believe it or not, we're about to enter into Advent season in two Sundays. And so we have these two weeks where we didn't have anything planned. So that means I get to preach on whatever I want, right? Which is awesome. Now, I've actually been thinking about for these two weeks what what can we uh, discuss as a community that might be a timely pastoral word or maybe just remind us why we exist as a church? And so I'm very excited to share the message today with you. A couple weeks ago, I finally got to meet a friend from afar. She pastors a church called Quest in Seattle. Her name is Gail Song Bantam. And if for those who followed that tragic uh, podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, Quest is the church in uh, Seattle that took over one of their campuses, and it's been a redemptive experience for many people there. Uh, But we finally got to meet in person in Denver at a little gathering a couple weeks ago, and a conversation that she and I had uh, really stirred my heart about our church and the experience that she expressed, too, with her community in Seattle. So she shared a story that during COVID, something was happening at their church facility, Um, they began to notice that someone was sleeping in their car outside in the parking lot. And then a couple weeks later, it turned into an RV, and then a couple tents showed up. And after a while, there was this whole community that was living outside of their church. And one day, the staff decided that we just need to do a better job being neighbors with our neighbors now. And so they went around and introduced themselves, and Gail was visiting with one of those individuals and said, so what do, you, what do you want from us? What do you need? And she was expecting canned goods, blankets, something like that. And, she, and this person said, please, what I need is please stop calling me homeless. Their experience was that I'm not homeless. I'm unhoused. I'm unhoused of what you're experiencing, but these are my things. These are my people. And this is my home. And for her, she began to, it was very instructive for her of how to engage people who are unhoused and are going through experiences like this. But she also began to think about that, though being unhoused is a unique challenge and experience that many people in our community have to face in some time of their life. Many of us also experience different versions of being unhoused. Whether we knew it or not, we found ourselves on the outside. We were displaced. We found ourselves left in a vulnerable condition, and many of us have had that experience. Uh, 
in other ways of feeling abandoned, neglected, and marginalized in our community. And this is nothing new. This is nothing new at all. This has always been a part of a religion in our communities. Even in Jesus' day, that was taking place for him. There was clear lines of distinction of who was in and who was out. And oftentimes, people who were a part of the community found themselves unhoused from religious communities and from the Jewish faith and from their community that they lived with. And though they were once welcomed and included, all of a sudden they were abandoned, excluded, marginalized. There was clear lines in Jesus' day of who was in and out. It was obvious that there was first-class citizens within the Jewish community, and then there was the outcasts. There were those who belonged, and then there was people who were discarded, like the island of misfit toys. They are just sent out over there. But one of the most shocking things about Jesus' life was his absolute disregard for the lines of demarcation of who was in and who was out. It was seemed like Jesus, it wasn't like he just ignored it. He actually stepped over those lines. And Jesus challenged and confounded the religious expectations. In particular, he got into real, real trouble by the power of friendship, by the power of welcome. And hospitality. That's what we find here in Luke 15. It begins with disgruntled religious leaders who look at Jesus and they begin to grumble. They begin to, to mutter. That word is the same uh, Hebrew root word for when the Jewish community was traveling through the wilderness and they did not like how God was providing for them and they muttered, they mumbled, they grumbled, they complained. And this is what we find here now with Jesus. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's lost on us with our cultural difference. How wild of an expression of grace and welcome and inclusion just eating with people were. It's one of the most profound things that Jesus did with people is he expressed his friendship and his inclusion through the power of, of eating with people. And this threatened the religious structure and expectation of that day, all through the power of friendship. Now, the religious elite, they bristled at this, and Jesus knows this, and so what does he do? He switches over into story mode, and he tells a series of three different stories all about lost things that were being found. This first one about a sheep who was lost and a shepherd who was going to go make the difficult choice to leave the 99 for the one. Now, if you, if for those who are, especially for those who are familiar with this passage, try to imagine this moment in your mind's eye with the shepherd looking at the flock and realizing one is gone, one is missing, and whether he was alone or not, maybe there's other shepherds with him, but this shepherd decides that he should go and find the one that was lost. And scripture says that he didn't just do a quick look around he just didn't walk around the circle or wherever they were. It says that he actually went into the open country. Another translation for the open country is he went into the wilderness. He traveled into the wilderness to find this lost sheep. The wilderness is always a place of scarcity, vulnerability, lack of provision, isolation. It's a place of danger. And the shepherd chooses to go. Think of all the reasons why the shepherd 
should just let the one go. Let's have a little discussion, shall we? What are all the different reasons why the shepherd should just leave the one alone? What's that? No great loss. It's just one. Protection of the many. Yeah, if he goes, then others are going to be vulnerable, right? What else? Safety for himself. Yeah, it's dangerous out there. It's always dangerous out there. So for even for his own care and his own protection, right? And who's the who does the to know if you're actually going to find the sheep, right? You could be off or not. And maybe that sheep will wander off again. <laughs> maybe it's a character issue. <laughs> but the shepherd is compelled by something. Has to be compelled by something. And it's compassion and care. My cynical nature is like, no, nah, he just cares about not losing the, the financial means of having the sheep, right? But what we see is we actually have a snapshot into the shepherd's heart when the sheep is found. The shepherd finds the sheep. It wasn't like scolding and lashing the sheep. It wasn't an opportunity to make a lesson out of the moment. Like sometimes I am guilty of as a father, like everything is a teachable moment. No, just like, just chill out, you know? And instead, the shepherd, when the shepherd finds the sheep, there's no annoyance or punishment or lesson making. Instead, the shepherd joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. And I wonder if he threw a party and sacrificed a lamb to feed everyone. I don't know. But the sheep was safe and home. Out of great care and compassion and concern, we see into the shepherd's heart that this is a moment of celebration. This is more than just finding the one. This is about bringing something home that needed and belonged home with the shepherd. Now, usually when Jesus tells parables, Jesus is quite comfortable at not explaining them. Like those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, they're going to get it. And I don't have to explain it to everyone. Or maybe Jesus wants people to ponder it and think over it. But here, Jesus uniquely goes one more step. And he says this, I tell you that in the same way there are more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus wants to ensure there's some clarity here between these tax collectors and sinners and the religious elite that were there, that there is this upside-down economy of God's grace, that Jesus is flipping things upside down of what people were expecting of religion, and I would say even still today expect of religion, that there's more rejoicing over one returned sinner the 99 righteous people who need to not repent. Now, this is not what we expect of religion. It surprised people 2,000 years ago. It threatened them. It's one of the reasons why I think Jesus was killed is by switching over that power dynamic, it changed those who were actually in authority. It changed those who were leaders. It, it challenged them in the structures there. And Jesus defies those, all those expectations that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one that has been returned than the 99 who are never lost. 
Jesus' point is not to discredit morality or righteousness or goodness. I think that's really important, that there is something for us to aspire for, to walk, uh, seeking to walk and following Jesus faithfully. The point is not to discredit all of those things. The problem, the problem is that the 99 righteous people are blind to all of that for which they need to repent. That they're blind to everything that they need to repent from. They don't need to be found because they were never lost. They don't need healing because they were never sick. They don't need restoration never, because they figured out how to fix themselves. They had made it on their own. And in their self-righteousness, they are far from the celebration of Jesus' grace. But for the one, for the one who humbly knows their brokenness and their need before God, who knows what it's like to be neglected and forgotten and left behind, for those who have been kicked out of communities of righteous 99, Jesus says that there is really good news, that heaven rejoices when one is found and brought back home. The kingdom that Jesus has established was meant for those who need a Savior, who know that they need a Savior. Jesus once wanted to share why these tax collectors, those who have been canceled by society, and the sinners, those who have been marred by their regrettable decisions and their appalling lifestyle, Jesus wanted to show why that Jesus had this friendship. It's because he's like this shepherd who is happy to leave the self-righteous 99, leave all of them to go after the one. And that is still who Jesus is. Is that your view of Jesus? Is that your view of Jesus? Or is God like a withholding parent waiting to, for the praise of those who have figured out their way, for those who are morally upright and mobile and doing fine on their own? I want to take a look at something here for a second. Perspective is really important. All right, so does anyone know? Go, go ahead. Yeah, perfect. Oh, Yeah. This is great. So uh, does anyone know what that is? It's a famous picture. Okay. They called this the little blue dot. This was a picture that was commissioned by Carl Sagan, a famous uh, astronomer. This picture was taken in 1990 from Voyager 1. Voyager 1 was 6 billion kilometers. I don't know how far away that is because I'm an American. If it was miles, I would know. But 6 billion kilometers, it sounds like a long way. Uh, 6 billion kilometers away. And Carl Sagan asked them to point the camera away from the edge of the, uh, of the universe and turn it back to Earth. And here we are, that little blue dot, that is Earth. That's where you and I are, this little blue dot. Is where we're standing and sitting right now. This little blue dot holds all the drama of your life, all the structures of power, of culture, and nation, right here in this little blue dot. This is where you'll spend every single day of your life, as well as every human that's ever existed will spend every single day in their life just spinning around this little blue dot, swirling around the atmosphere. And this little blue dot is just one of millions planets in, in, the, uh, in, the war, in space. I like how Carl Sagan, he described this. He said, here we find a moat of dust suspended on a sunbeam. That's where we are. Kind of makes this world feel really, like, really, 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 really small, right? 
But the reality is this story teaches us in all of the vastness of the universe, all of the grandeur of the expansiveness of God's creation that God sees the one. God sees each and every one of you every day of your life. The good shepherd looks for you, counts you, makes sure that you're not alone and isolated and sent out. God sees you. And when you are lost, Jesus will find you, restore you, heal you, bring you back home with all the joy of heaven every single time, again and again. This parable is not just trying to connect a misunderstanding 2,000 years ago. It's trying to convince you that you too have a loving shepherd that will go into whatever wilderness you are in, whatever wilderness you are in, to make sure that you are found and brought back home into God's love. Now, I have the privilege of hearing many of your stories, and I've discovered that many here have had the experience of being displaced. Though once you had stability and covering and community, many of you, even religious community, something happened along the way that disoriented you, and along the way you found yourself unhoused, unhoused from the support that you once had, whether in your family system or unhoused in your religious community, or what used to bring so much refuge and comfort, and you found yourself unhoused again from the certainty that you once had, maybe even in your faith. That's even part of our church's story. When we began this church, we were, went through the very lengthy process of being a part of a denomination, and through that experience, our church, and me personally very much so, found a sense of home and community. We were grafted into this beautiful story in this future, but then... The vine discerned that the teachings and example of Jesus was calling us to create a space where we could follow how we understand Jesus to live, as Jesus displayed what it means to live with friendship with others, especially those who are religiously other or socially other or those who have not found welcome in other places. And the strong ties that we had with this community, with this denomination, they evaporated. And relationship of refuge and trust actually became antagonistic and threatening. And we found ourselves unhoused. And two weeks ago, when I met with Gail, their church was beginning the same exact process that we went through two years ago. And we mourned the experience of being unhoused. Like a sheep in the wilderness, we found ourselves alone and a bit vulnerable but now, two years later, I can say the good shepherd showed up in our midst, and we have been carried by God's love and by the kindness of Jesus who found us and brought us into something greater. <clears throat> and to be honest, when we were out there, we experienced that, we realized something profound, is that we weren't alone out there. There are a lot of people who feel they have lost the sense of home that they once had. And like the island of misfit toys, there are these communities of people who find each other along the way. There's many of us who have held similar experiences. And what we would say is just because we were unhoused doesn't mean we are homeless. 
didn't mean that we didn't have a place in this world because these are our possessions. These are our people. This is our home. Many of you have held similar stories of being left behind and rejected, isolated, neglected, and alone. Many of you have spent your own time in the wilderness either by choices that you've made or either by decisions that other people made on, on your behalf in the past. And I am here to tell you today that Jesus will always leave the 99 for the one. That is who Jesus is and who Jesus continues to be. The eyes of the good shepherd is looking for you to ensure that you are never alone, that you will never be abandoned. And Jesus didn't just leave the flock. He left heaven's comforts. He sidestepped the trappings of religious power and the empty praise of the righteous 99 to make sure that he would always be a savior for the one. And I, for one, I hope that the vine can be that kind of community, a church for the one. I'm becoming more and more convinced that that is the reason why we exist as a community, is to be a church for the one. Not for the 99 who want to rehearse our morality, or not for the 99 who want to rehearse worship services and places of religious superiority. We exist as a church to follow Jesus who is going after the one, whether we join him or not. We just miss out on the celebration that heaven erupts with if we don't participate in that. As we know and follow Jesus, Jesus will gradually give us the heart of the shepherd who knows our unique calling to leave our comforts, to leave our control, to leave our turf, and go after all of those who have been unhoused to show that they have a home. This makes me think of Horton. Remember Horton? Let's see here. Oh, we're gonna, yeah, there we go. Now I know Dr. Seuss has an interesting relationship now. I know that many of us have put him aside. I am desperate for sermon illustrations every week, so please, just give me this. You can cancel him, just don't cancel this illustration, okay? Thank you. All right, so if you guys remember this story, Horton hears it who. Horton sees this insignificant speck of dust, but then a closer look reveals that on this little speck of dust is an entire town. Does anyone remember the name of it? Whoville, that's right, Whoville. And though Horton can't see Whoville, he has ears big enough where he can hear the people, and especially the mayor of Whoville. And the mayor of Whoville begins to ask Horton if he will take the, all the people to safety, and Horton agrees. And we hear Horton's repeated phrase throughout this book, a person is a person, no matter how small. And Horton promises to take Whoville to safety, but there is opposition. The animals of the jungle, they see Horton acting weird, and they begin to ask questions. And Horton explains that on this speck of dust is a whole town, and they find Horton's uh, false news, fake news, concerning and suspect, and they try to take the speck of dust. They find Horton on all of everything that he's doing to be dangerous. And so they try to take the speck from him to end the madness. And they try to destroy the clover that Horton was using to carry the speck of dust. Now Horton, at this moment, is so, there's such, so much tension. They, they're about to put the, the, the clover into a fire or into a, a, a pot of boiling water. And Horton pleads with the people of Whoville to make some noise. And so they get out drums and sousaphones and trombones, and they begin to repeat a phrase over and over again. And the phrase they say is, we are here, we are here. But they 
the sound doesn't break through. None of the animals can hear it. That animals that don't have the big enough ears. And so the mayor looks around and is like, is every who saying, is, is, are we all making noise? And they found this one smallest who of them all. His name was Jojo. And he was playing with the yo-yo. And they said, Jojo, you gotta, you gotta join us. And so he gives out his own yelp. And the sound breaks through. And the community of the people there, they began to hear this unknown, unseen community of people who are repeating, we are here. And I wonder how many people, without even saying those words, are sharing the same experience. People living in isolation, communities disregarded and sent away who simply want to be seen and heard, want to be known. They might even say, we are here, we're here and though some in this world find them suspect and some people in religious power want to disregard them and send them on the way, out of sight, out of mind, the heart of the shepherd can hear them and is compelled by love and compassion to go find them. And the question for us is, does the church care? Do we have ears to hear? Do we have a heart of compassion? Do we have courage enough to go into whatever wilderness to find all of the ones to bring them back home. Jesus is teaching us what matters most in his kingdom, and we just need to learn to follow Jesus, the one who goes after the one. We need to find those who are beaten down by regret and shame, to find those who've been wounded and discarded by the institution of religion, to find all of those who don't fit into the mold, the ideal that we are taught to praise, We need to find all of those who believe that God loves the better version of them, to find all of those who've been sent out of whatever flock because they started asking dangerous questions, to find all of those who were once told that they were welcomed and only to find later on that there is barriers for what it means to be welcomed, that there is bait and switches for that the church would show them to be actually included and welcomed into the church, to find those who moved were moved to the back of the line due to their race, their gender, their sexuality, their past, their divorce in the years past, their struggles with mental and emotional wholeness and their doubts. The vine exists to find those whom heaven is preparing to celebrate, to go into the wildernesses of this world, into our neighborhoods and our workplaces, to find them so that we can tell them, though you might have been unhoused, I know someone who can bring you home again. That's why we are here. That's why we gather. And that's the Savior whom we know and love, who loves every single one of you. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.